Hey church, if you uh, have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 15, of course, today, uh, as we've been talking about Taste of Home and, and the Prodigal Son. We're kind of trying to hit it from three different perspectives, of course. We talked about uh, last week, Morvin actually shared about the Prodigal Son. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the Father, and then next week, we're going to talk about the, the oldest son, and I'm going to hit on some of those things today, but these are, are very important things for us to address but here, here's the foundation, and here's where uh, this story starts. It really starts in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. And so we have to talk about those things before we can really dive in to the true understanding and meaning of the story that Jesus is sharing right now. And so last week, talking about the prodigal son, uh, Morvin talked about your ideas versus good ideas versus God's ideas, and how our ideas are often bad ideas, uh, we can get counsel and often get good ideas, but as long as they're not God's ideas, they will still be hollow, and we only find true fulfillment when we get hooked up to the, to the Father, have His heart, and we really follow after the things that He has for us. And so we're going to talk about some of those things as well during this story today, but I really want to start off so that we kind of have an understanding and a foundation of what this story, of what these stories actually, these three stories are all about. So in verse 1, he says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is where this story all starts. And there are actually three stories kind of combined into one where Jesus is sitting down with tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees. So it's almost like a joke, right? It's not one of those, you know, uh, whatever, an American, an Englishman. It's, it's, a, it's a tax collector, a sinner, and a Pharisee. All are talking to Jesus, and Jesus decides to address them in this way. So we want to understand kind of the audience so that we can understand the point of the story. And so tax collectors are kind of the shunned, and, and they're looked at in a really, really negative way. There's a movie out there called uh, It Man that I enjoy. It's on uh, Netflix, and, and it's in subtitles. It's not in English, but I, I kind of like these movies, and so uh, I watch them and enjoy it. But there's a character in the movie, and it's about the Japanese invading China. And there's a character in the movie that becomes a translator for the Japanese. And in that movie, he has paid a whole bunch of money, and his family is really, really well taken care of because he has aligned himself with the enemy. And the Chinese people are suffering, and they are really, really mad at this guy because he's prospering, and they're suffering. And he's prospering because he has aligned himself by, with what they consider evil. And that's what the tax collector is in this part. The Roman Empire is, is massive at this point in time. They are very, very prosperous. They have taken over the world, and they're murderers, they're rapists, they're just not great people. And there's this army that is all over the place, and the tax collectors have aligned themselves with them. How do you control this big of, of a landmass at that point in time? You have a massive army. How do you pay for the army? You have tax collectors. You have taxes and tax collectors. Who do you get to pay the taxes? You get the next-door neighbor to, to sign up to, to collect taxes. And so they're really, really wealthy because they have aligned themselves with the enemy and they are hated, disdained people. Because I'm suffering and you're prospering because you have aligned yourself with evil people. And so that's who's hanging out with Jesus. But it's not just tax collectors. The Bible says there's also sinners. And in this, the sinners are kind of labeled as people, one who have just kind of taken jobs or done things that are wrong, 
but also people that have been kind of mistreated or have uh, ailments of some sort. There's actually a section where Jesus and his disciples come up upon a, a crippled man. And his disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father, that he is crippled like this? And so they label these crippled people sinners, and that's kind of their perspective as well. So there are people who have aligned themselves with the enemy, there are people who have made poor choices, and there are just people in, in, in life that have suffered from ailments and issues, and they're labeled sinners as well. And then the last category of people on this is the Pharisees. These are the people that are just better than all of us. They're better than everybody. They have done what the scripture has said from the beginning, from an early stage in life. They have decided to follow God. And we know people like this that have just, I mean, their life is just good because they have set it up to be good, that they are righteous and they are followers of God. And we look at those people and we don't meet up with those people. They have a standard that is beyond our standard and they're sitting here listening to Jesus as well. So it's important for us to understand that when Jesus is addressing these people, he's addressing all of these groups of people, and he's telling them these three stories. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your truth. Lord, as we dive in, we're hoping to not just discover these truths, but Lord, to be able to apply and make them a real part of our lives as we jump into the holiday season. So we're excited about what you're going to do. Just lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as these Pharisees, you know, they start grumbling amongst themselves kind of about how Jesus is eating with sinners. He's, he's welcoming sinners. He's eating with tax collectors. That doesn't even seem right. Jesus tells these stories. And I think there are two main points that he really wants to get across in this stories that he starts to tell. Point number one, okay, is that the Father loves the sinner. That's point number one. And not just the sinner, but he loves everyone. And second is our attitudes can be very, very wrong when it comes to the grace of God. And it almost doesn't matter who you are. You can have a bad attitude and you can be in a bad situation. But those types of things are the two things that he really, really wants to address when he's talking to these guys. So let's read these stories and let's kind of pull these truths out and see kind of how they apply to our lives. Maybe you can relate to one of these stories. The first one starts in, in verse 3, and it says this, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls the friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So he starts the story off talking about a sheep. And I don't think that this is, I think Jesus picks these characters on purpose. And there are really four characters in the scripture that he talks about right here. And the first one is a sheep. Sheep are just dumb animals. Sheep are the type of creatures where they're down grazing, and as they're down grazing, they just wander off. And this is very, very dangerous for sheep because they get all alone, and they're stupid. They don't even do it on purpose, but they're out on, the, on their own, and they are lost. They are lost creatures. And when I think about this story, I think about some of the characters that Jesus is addressing right here. Some of them are probably saying, this is me. I'm a sheep. 
I didn't know what, what was happening. I don't know why. But I looked up one day, as Marvin said last week, he came to his senses. I came to my senses. I looked up, and I'm like, where did the flock go? I don't even know where the flock went. They just disappeared. But the important part of the story is not necessarily the sheep, even though so many of us can relate to it. It's that the shepherd is almost irresponsible in leaving the 99 to go find the one. And so you might have been stupid with your life. You might have just kept your head down. You might have wandered away. One day you look up and go, I don't even know how I got here. But that, that doesn't even matter that much. What matters so much is that the, the father or the shepherd wants you and is almost irresponsible in trying to find you. He, he wants you in his life. And not only does he want you, when you come to your senses and you turn, return to the Father, he's ready to rejoice over you. He wants to have a party with you and with all people about you. And that's the important part of the story. He calls everybody and says, come, rejoice with me, for the sheep that was lost is now found. And that's the important part of the story. And so it's important that we understand that, that there are people here that could relate to the sheep and understand the joy in the Heavenly Father. When I look at this story, I think about my own kids. Because at times we've seen this in, in movies and, of course, in different environments as well. And I've told this story before, but if I take my kids to the store and all of a sudden one of them wanders off, and you guys know how kids are, they think it's funny to hide from mom and dad at the store and, and, and watch us frantically search for them. And they think it's hilarious. Oh, look at dad and mom looking like fools running around trying to find us. And we're hiding in the clothes racks. You ever did that, do that as a kid? You ever see your kids do that? We're hiding in the changing room. And they think it's hilarious. But the truth of the matter is right there, if I lose one of the kids, I call Ruth and say, hey, hon, you know, I, I lost one of the kids, but don't worry, I have the other four. I am 80% successful at this point, right? 80%, which is a B in school, and I'm cool with a B in school, but I'm telling you at this point, Ruth wouldn't be okay, would she? She'd be like, where's the, where's the other one? I don't know. I don't know where they went. They're hiding somewhere. It's okay. We decided just to leave them there, and we're going to come home. No, 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 no. What do you do? You, you leave the other four to find the one. And we're almost irresponsible, aren't we? Because we have a child that is lost. Well, the Lord has several children that are lost. And he wants you. And I think that about my kids as well. Let's read on. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she light the lamp? Does she not? Doesn't she light the lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found the lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, of, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I think about the crippled kind of in this part. The person that, you know, didn't really make the decision because a coin is an inanimate object, right? It can only be lost if somebody's irresponsible with it. They didn't do anything. They're just kind of stuck there. And I think the, the, that Jesus picked this because somebody could relate to that. Listen, you know, somebody mistreated me. I was abused. I, was, I, was, I did not grow up in a great home. I did not grow up with a great family. Nobody directed me towards God. In fact, they very much pushed me away from God. I have had people and, 
and families tell me specifically, I will never take my kids to church. And that they will preach against church and against God to their kids. And that might have been your story. You might just have looked up one day, came to your senses, like Morvin said last week, and you were like, you know what, I didn't do anything, but I had people that directed me away from God, that pulled me away from God, that, that discouraged me from God. And I think in this story, that, that comes to maybe the cripple in mind there. And Jesus is addressing this specifically. And he's saying, listen, you know what? You, 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 might be, you, know, you might be able to relate to this as an inanimate object. Somebody abused you, misused you, and you are nowhere near God, and it's no fault of yours. But the important part of the story is there's two, right? One, God still wants you. You might be lost, but we're searching. He's searching, and, and he wants you. And two, when you're found, there is rejoicing in heaven. There is a celebration, and there is a party because God wants you. And then he goes on and he really hits home. And he talks about the, the lost son. And the lost son is an interesting part of the story because one, he wasn't stupid and wandered away like the sheep. Two, he wasn't an inanimate object where somebody misused or abused. He's the third part where he knew the father. He knew what was right. He grew up in a good environment and he said, I reject you. This is the hard part of the story, but yet it's a real part of the story. There are people in here that grew up knowing the truth, and at some point you said, I, I know the truth, but I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it. And, and that's who he's addressing here when he's talking about the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, this is what's interesting about this story, because I think, why, why didn't the father just say no? Like, if my kids came up to me, and this is essentially what he's saying, listen, you're going to die. You're going to die at some point. I'm going to get 20% of everything you own. Uh, I kind of wish you were dead now. So just go ahead and give me my 20%, would you? That's kind of what the younger son is saying right here. And it would be like me pulling out my checkbook and saying, all right, writing a check, this is, this is 20% of what I'm worth right now. Here it is, it's yours. And the son's saying, yes. Now, I don't know, this doesn't make sense to me, because as, as a father, I would be like, no. And then I would throw them out the front door, right? That's what I do, no. And it's like the father doesn't know the word no right here. But this is how our father works, isn't it? We know this. He doesn't want his son eating with the pigs. But if you choose that, he's going to let you. He's going to let you. If you choose to go eat with the pigs, he's going to let you do it. He's going to let you do it. And so that's the story right here. This kid shows up and says, I want it. Father says, okay, here it is. And then not long after that, in verse 13, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
You see, this is the life that he chose. This is not the life that the Father chose for him. This is the life that he chose. And there are several of us probably in this room that we are living in need because we have chosen a life away from the Father. And and at this point, before that, he had not just everything he needed, but he had an abundance. But he goes and he blows that, and now he's really in need. It's not about wants anymore. It's about survival. It's not about having a good time anymore. It's about, I don't even have food. I am suffering. And then, this is what Morvan was talking about last week. He comes to his senses, and he says, you know what? I could go and be a slave in my father's house and live better than this. You see, he leaves as a son, and that's his heart, his prideful. But he returns as a servant. And and he starts practicing this speech, not unlike what we would do, right? You guys probably remember a specific time where you got in trouble when you were a kid. And you knew that your parents knew about it. And when you got home, you were going to be busted. And so on your way home, you're practicing, right? Um, Well, you know, I didn't really want to go, but my friends made me go. They tricked me into going. I mean, you're making all kinds of excuses. Most of them are not the truth. And don't you pretend like this wasn't you. I know it was. I was there myself, right? I'm making these things up as I'm traveling home, ready to tell the Father, ready to convince him that this is not my fault, even though it is, even though I made the choice. I'm going to try and convince him that it's not my fault. And at that time, you know, I'm going to make up this story or I'm going to tell even the truth. And this is what he settles on. He settles on telling the truth, which I think is a great plan, isn't it? I wish more people would tell the truth. He settles on, you know what, I'm just going to tell him. I sinned. I screwed up. And now I'm ready to be a slave. I'm ready to be a servant. I'm ready to do what what you want. And so that's the decision that he makes to go back to the Father. And this is the part that doesn't make sense. And this is the part that doesn't make sense to every single character in this that Jesus is telling the story to. This is the part right here where Jesus turns everybody's world upside down. Whether you're a tax collector, whether you're a sinner, or whether you're one of the Pharisees. Because everybody in this is relating to somebody who was lost right here. And, and most of the people are probably sitting there with their heads down going, yes, that's me. I chose to run away from God. Yes, I, I was stupid with my life. Yes, I was an inanimate object. And somebody misused me maybe. But I'm nowhere close to God. And, and the Pharisees are sitting there probably going, yeah, let them have it, Jesus. This is them. They chose this. But Jesus doesn't stop the story right here where the guy is eating with the pigs. He goes on and he moves beyond it, which is the part that just doesn't make sense. Right here, it says, after he's practicing his speech, he's coming to the Father. And it says, while he was a long way off, his Father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, if my son says to me, Dad, I want 20% of everything that you have, I hope you're dead pretty soon so I can have it. You know what? Don't, I'm not going to wait. Just give it to me anyways. He runs and he squanders it all and he comes back to me. I just don't think my response was going to be the same as this. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hug. I'm not going to kiss. And the Pharisees and the people that are sitting here, this doesn't make sense to them either. Wait a second. 
You're telling me that this son does this and the father runs to him, hugs him, and kisses him? That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't. But that's the point. Jesus is saying, this is the way you guys think. My heavenly father doesn't think the way you think. He thinks very differently than you think. You think this person should be punished for their stupid living. And instead, my father comes and he kisses them. And he loves on them. And he hugs them. And, and so then it goes on. And, and the son starts to talk. And he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he doesn't even let him finish his speech because he doesn't need him to. He knows his heart. He knows what's happening right here. And he doesn't need his son to, to, you know, eat a little piece of humble pie. He doesn't need it. He's had enough. He was eating with the pigs. At this point, he just wants him to know that he loves him. So what does he do? He goes and he gets a, a robe, and not just any robe, but the best robe. He puts it on his shoulders. He puts sandals on his feet. He, he gives him a ring that, that signifies that he is a son. And he goes out and he kills the fatted calf, fattened calf, so that they can eat and that they can party. I mean, at this point, you know, like, like if we're being real, if our son were to do this, I would be like, listen, we're going to go party, but you just, you just sit there and you think about what you've done. And maybe we'll let you eat at our table with us in a couple of weeks. But the, but the Bible says that immediately, that he immediately did these things. Because he doesn't have to wait anymore. And so that's the third character. The son that wondered, but the father still wanted him. And not only did he want him, but he wanted to rejoice that he was found. And so he celebrated. But it doesn't stop there, because there's a fourth character in this story. And the fourth character is the older son. And the older son is out in the fields. And what? Out in the fields, he hears music and dancing. If you can hear dancing out in the fields, there is a serious party that is happening. And so there is rejoicing. And the son comes up and he asks one of the slaves, what, what, what's going on in there? Which I think is perfectly ironic, isn't it? Because how many of us, church, at times when we have done the right things, instead of going and praying and talking to the Father about situations, we go and we talk to somebody else about situations. And I think this is a great cue of, of, of um, you know, this legalistic perspective. Because there's more than just the sin of license. There's also the sin of legalism, which we're going to talk about last week. It's not just about going and doing wrong. You can be doing everything right, but your attitude and heart can be completely wrong. But you know what? The Lord doesn't stop. The Father doesn't stop His love. The Father goes out to His Son who refuses to go in. He's like, I ain't partying. Which is just absolutely moronic, isn't it? that he's not going to come in. There's steak inside, there's music inside, there's dancing inside. And he's like, I ain't coming in. I ain't going to celebrate. Who suffers by him not celebrating? Only him. I had to have that conversation with my oldest the other day who gets mad at me and says, you know what, I'm going to quit my job. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you not having money is really going to make me suffer, right? That's really going to be hard on me. That's the same perspective. Yeah, you're not coming in and eating steak, and you're not coming in and dancing, and you're not coming in and celebrating. 
that's, that's not going to make me suffer. But it says when he decides that he's not coming in, that the Lord begs him. The Father begs him. Why? Because not only does the Father want the lost, but he wants the righteous too. He wants the, the people that were misused. He wants the people that were stupid. He wants the people that chose to go the other direction. And he also wants the people that chose to do it right. He wants them all. And he loves them all. And he pleads with them and begs them to come in and dance and have a good time with him. Because he loves them all. And that's the important part of this story is the Father's love that none of these guys understand. They just don't understand it. That it goes beyond their reach and beyond their understanding. And so, what's the important part of the oldest son? He wants you as well. If you might have done everything right, but you still think, you know, that whatever, whatever the perspective is. And, and it is, it is. It's so weird. It's so weird right here when he sees this because the guy says, you haven't even given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And that's the reality of our standard, isn't it? We look at the Lord who has offered us unending love, eternal life with him. Also in this life, a, a peace that goes beyond understanding, joy that is overflowing. These are all in the scripture. And we're like, but you haven't given us a goat. And he's like, you want a goat? The, the father says, everything I have is yours. And you're upset because I haven't given you a goat? But that's the standard we set for ourselves. He says, you know what? I don't, I don't care about the goat. There, I've killed a fattened calf for your brother. I would celebrate with you. Everything I have is yours. Come in and let's dance. Let's rejoice. Because I, the Father, love him and I love you. And that's the important part of this story. Jesus breaks this down and says, listen, you've broken people into all of these categories. Lost, found, whatever, righteous, sinner, whatever it is that you've broken them down into. But you know, my love, it covers all of them, and I want all of them, and I will celebrate with all of them. So this Thanksgiving season, what do I want for you? I want for you to understand the love of God that you have. I want you to be able to be thankful and to be able to party and to be able to rejoice because no matter what category you fit in, the Lord wants you and he wants to celebrate with you. Know that over this holiday season. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness that's my prayer for you over this holiday season, that you may know and grab a hold of this love that the Father is extending to you, a love that doesn't make sense. You can choose to walk away and sin. You can choose 
to not come in and party and sin. You could be an inanimate object and just be misused. You could be stupid and wander away. But the truth of the story is this. There are two parts. God loves you, and he wants to celebrate with you. And that is worth worshiping. So we're going to take one minute here, and I want you to stand with me, church, right now. And we are going to be thankful for our God and his love. And we are going to do one last song together before Mormon comes out and dismisses. And we are going to take time to celebrate the love that our Father has. And he wants to celebrate with you. So like it was said earlier, just be willing to open your arms up, open your life up, and worship this God who is worthy, whose love surpasses understanding, and that it doesn't make sense. You know, that line, when I thought I'd lost me, you knew where to find me. It's kind of the core of this message. We, at times, feel like we've lost ourselves. We feel like, you know, we don't know where we are, where we're going, what we're doing, and God is right there to direct our paths and put us in the place that he wants us to be. And so the very fact that you are here this morning is a true testament to the love of our God and how he drew you here so that your heart could be ministered to and so that your life could be different from this day forward. And so I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward at this time. And as they come forward, I'm going to ask you to um, bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're out there this morning, you would say, you know what? I've never received Jesus Christ into my heart, into my life. I've never received the love of God. I want to ask you to lift up your hand. We're not trying to point anyone out or make them feel bad. We just want the opportunity to pray with you. Or if you would say, you know what? I once gave my heart to God, but I've kind of left his love. And I need to receive him again this morning. I want to rededicate this morning. I want to ask you to lift up your hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. Anyone else? Yes, I see that hand. The last question I want to ask is maybe you're out here and you would say, you know what? I don't even know. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm born again. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God wants me. We want to pray with you. Will you lift up your hand? I see that hand. Anyone else? I see hands all over the place. Well, church, why don't you pray this with me? Say, Father, right now I come to you. And I believe in my heart that you want to love me in a real way. I believe, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, just for me. And so I receive your love right now. I thank you, Father, that I am now saved born again and going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Churches, give them a hand clap. Amen. Luke, why don't you change the lights there to sermon lights and
Man, we want to thank you guys for coming out this morning. We know that God directed you here on purpose and that God has some tremendous things for your life. And so again, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you rededicated your life today, there's people up here who want to pray with you. I'll stay up here for a little bit. You can find someone to pray with and you can know how much that God loves you. Amen? Amen. Why don't you turn around and shake hands with about two people. Tell them happy Thanksgiving and I'll see you next week.